Well, we're now going to have our main Bible reading. We're back in 1 Kings, chapter 12. So do turn to it, if you would. Now, just before I start reading, we're missing out a bit because basically with Tom B. Neil, he's written a sermon on 1 Kings 12, 1 to 24. That's on ice, all being well, you'll get that on Sunday, next Sunday, okay? So we're picking it up on verse 25 because we're not, we're not going to wait. But let me just tell you, because it's quite an important section, let me just fill you in, otherwise you're thinking like, wow, things have gone wrong pretty fast, which they have done. So if you remember, 1 Kings 11, that was the turning point where Solomon fell, um, and as a result, he's given this prophecy that the kingdom is going to be divided. Okay? That, has, that happens in, in the section we're missing out, 12, 1 to 24. So basically, Judah and sort of Simeon uh, that's been uh, assimilated, that has now been um, divided from, in the south, from the, the northern ten tribes. So there's now this division between the kingdom. Um, and that means we've now got two kings. So in Judah, in the south, we have Rehoboam. And then in the north, with the ten tribes, we've got Jeroboam. Okay, So that's, that's happened, as was predicted. So we pick up the story at verse 25, and we're now going... And basically what happens in the book of Kings is that you've got the options of basically, does, do you focus on the north or the south? And so basically you've either got kings of Judah or kings of Israel. So we're going to have a look at... Well, sorry, this section follows Jeroboam, who's king of the north. Everyone happy? Good. In which case, um, let's uh, read and see what happens in that kingdom. It says this. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem then the heart of this people will turn again to their lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin for the people, went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made, 
And he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a man shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favour of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to his father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to him, Which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to me, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who had come from Judah, Thus says the Lord, Because you disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom it had brought back, whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body, 
And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, it's the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave of, in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Uh, anyone, who, anyone who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise and disguise yourself that it not be known that you are the wife of Jeroboam. And go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah, the prophet, is there, who said of me that I should be king over this people. Take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the child. Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. And the Lord said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shall you say to her. When she came, she pretended to be another woman. But when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another? For I am charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing only that which was right in his eyes. But you have done evil above all who were before you and have gone and made for yourself other gods and metal images, provoking me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold... I will bring harm upon the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male both bond and free in Israel and will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is all gone. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat for the Lord has spoken it. Arise therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam today. 
And henceforth the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of this good land that he gave to their fathers and scatter them beyond the Euphrates because they have made their Asherim, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give up Israel because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzah, and as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, keep that open. We're going to have a look at that together. Just to say there's an outline of where we're going in your service sheets, so please do make use of that if that's useful to you. And there will be a time at the end for any questions or comments. So I won't be saying everything about everything in the passage, so if you come with particular questions that aren't answered or insights to share, then that will be a time for that. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together to look at your word. We thank you that you are the God who is good, truthful and sovereign. And pray please as your people that we would uh, vindicate those truths about you as we uh, listen to your word, trust it and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. They're the words of the Apostle Paul from Acts 17 that we read earlier, and he's exploring the implications of the coming of Jesus. The idea of ignorance here is the ignorance of a person, God. The people Paul spoke to thought about God in ways that we should not think about God. And that ignorance is something that God will no longer overlook. God will not allow people to misrepresent him forever. There will be a day when it comes to an end. The reason given is explained in terms of the coming judgment of the world. In the coming of Jesus comes the judgment of the world. That's because God has appointed him judge. And Paul's point is that you cannot enter that judgment in ignorance because the times of ignorance which God would overlook have now finished. In view of all this, God commands all people everywhere to repent. 
to repent is to turn from misrepresenting God to God as he really is. And the call to repentance is universal. There's a double emphasis by Paul. All people, all places. And this arises from the idea of universal judgment. Here the resurrection is connected to universal judgment and thus the command to repent. But is this really what we should be expecting from the coming of Jesus? Today, people talk about the need to be authentic, about the importance of being ourselves, about there being no barriers to involvement in church life, um, no barriers to involvement in God's life. Talk of idolatry is considered arrogant. It claims a particular truth about God that excludes other representations of him. And yet, Acts 17 speaks of a time that marks the end of idolatry. The time of ignorance is now over. And this is is tied to God's enthronement of his Christ. Why? Well, our passage this morning, 1 Kings 12 to 14, provides significant background to this. And in particular, to what should we expect from God's Christ when he comes? So let's take a look. Back in 1 Kings 11, we observed the dramatic fall of Solomon. And rather than draw the moral lesson, don't be like Solomon, we concluded that Solomon's significance was seen in that he is God's king, his Messiah. And his idolatry jeopardised the kingdom of God. And it invoked God's discipline on him and his people. The judgment that follows Solomon's death splits the kingdom. The kingdom is divided into two, the tribe of Judah and assimilated Simeon in the south from the ten tribes in the north. So with the failure of the Davidic king Solomon, the promised land has begun to fragment. Now it's at this point that history repeats itself. Have a look again at 1 Kings 12.26. 1 Kings 12.26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel, And made two cars of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The leader of the northern kingdom is Jeroboam. And he sets up these two golden calves in Bethel, 
and Dan to prevent the people from making pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. Now, you'd be forgiven for having a sense of deja vu at this point. Having led Israel to Mount Sinai, God meets with their leader Moses, and in Moses' absence, what did the people do? They made a golden calf. Exodus 31, verse 1. And they attribute to the golden calves in 1 Kings 12 precisely what they attributed to the golden calf in Exodus 32. They attributed to the idol their rescue from Egypt. Now, it's worth pausing for a moment to think, why are they doing that? I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it was stupid the first time. But to do it again, beggar's belief. It reveals the character of fallen humanity. Fallen humanity is prone to idolatry. It doesn't need to be intellectually credible. I mean, idolatry, after all, is stupid. The gods we make up aren't real. Yet it's the character of the fallenness that we've inherited from Adam. We don't find it difficult. We do it with ease. It's what we want. We're prone to idolatry. Now, it's worth observing a couple of insights Uh, where we see what idolatry is from 1 Kings 12. So have a look, if you would, at verse 32. Chapter 12, verse 32. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places, that he had made. Notice that the calves are described as those he had made. Idols are made-up gods. God, he's the uncreated creator. We are the creatures. We are the made ones. But in idolatry, we act as though that relationship is reversed. The attraction, of course, with idolatry is that we get to make a god of our own choosing to suit us. It's what we see in verse 33. Pick it up, 1233. Jeroboam went up to the altar that he made in Bethel on the 15th day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. Notice that the whole scheme of idolatry is as he had devised from his own heart to suit him and his interests. Jeroboam's idolatry becomes the standard by which all succeeding kings in the north are measured. So as we go through Israel's history in the coming weeks, we're going to meet a succession of kings that follow Jeroboam. 
And look out, as we do that, look out for how they are compared to Jeroboam. Time and again, we're going to be told that the kings that followed walked in the way of Jeroboam. Let me just show you one example. And once you've seen one, you'll see it everywhere. So 1 Kings 16.25. Now Omri is king. And it says, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. So significant with Jeroboam is that he has set the path that future kings will walk in, okay? And actually, he is regarded as a major cause of Israel's sin. Because if you listen here to the final analysis of Israel's history that will be told later in 2 Kings 17, verse 21, it says there, when he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king, and Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria and to until this day. In other words, Jeroboam's sin isn't something that we will ever really move on from. It becomes the negative standard and the measure for what follows. Now, just as the golden calf spelled disaster for Israel at Sinai, so the calves eventually lead to disaster for the northern kingdom. And the disaster is spelled almost immediately in the text. Um, Jeroboam is worshipping at the temple in Bethel when an anonymous prophet is sent to judge. The prophet destroys the altar. He predicts the desecration of the bones of Jeroboam's heretical priesthood on it. And then we get one of the most significant long-range prophecies in the entire Bible. Take a look at chapter 13, verse 2. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. The prophet announces the birth of a Davidic king. And this king will restore true worship by eliminating its false invitation. He even names the king almost 300 years before his birth. And when Josiah, 
does appear in 2 Kings, chapter 23, he destroys idol worship. Just as Moses destroyed the golden calf, Josiah will burn the altars, pound them to dust, and scatter the ashes. This informs our expectation of God's Messiah. Idolatry spells disaster for Israel. The solution comes from a Davidic king, a king who will put an end to idolatry and a king who will restore true worship. And the two go together, don't they? You can't have true worship where there is idolatry. The gods we make up, they aren't real. And therefore, our relationship with them isn't real. That's the tragedy. That needs to be dealt with if there's going to be true worship. You can only have true worship when we worship God as he really is. Away with the imitation, away with the lie, only then can we worship God truly. Well, we began by considering Paul's call to repentance in Athens. In his view, with the enthronement of God's Christ, the times of ignorance that God overlooked are coming to an end. His coming culminates in the end of idolatry and the reconciliation to God. And our passage in 1 Kings leads us to expect exactly that. We're expecting the Davidic king to restore true worship by eliminating its false imitations. And this strengthens our confidence, therefore, in the gospel of God. That calls people everywhere to turn from idols, from misrepresenting God, to worship the true and living God. Now, this does, of course, mean that our society needs to rethink what it means to be authentic. Rather than begin with the idea of being true to ourselves, we need to begin with being true to God. If being authentic means that there are no barriers to involvement in God's life, well, we risk relating to a God that is not real. Authentic worship must begin with God as he really is. It acknowledges a particular truth about him, one that he himself has revealed to us. And it necessarily excludes other representations of him that are false. You know, God's forbearance with humanity's idolatry is astonishing. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, we are fast approaching the end of idolatry and an eternity of true worship. Let's pray 
and I'll open it up to any questions or comments you might have. Heavenly Father, we thank you for recording this period of Israel's history and what we can learn about what to expect from your Messiah. That uh, we're to expect that when he comes, that he will deal with human idolatry and bring about uh, true and authentic worship. And therefore, Father, as we reflect on Paul's call to repentance in Acts 17, it makes perfect sense that with the coming of the Christ, the Messiah par excellence, his enthronement signals the final judgment where idolatry will come to an end and that your people will know you as you really are and therefore their worship of you will be true and authentic. And we pray, please, as we consider these things, that this will only seek to foster our confidence in your gospel that calls people to turn from idols to the true and living God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now is the time for any questions or comments. So maybe something I said, like to explore something from the passage. Give you a moment to gather your thoughts. Susie. Yeah, it's complicated. It's funny, you think that would be the one of the things you just think, that should be easy, like 12, like 1 plus 10 yeah. makes 11. So I think um, I, um, Tom and I had a chat about that, and he's going to include something in his 1 Kings 12 um, sermon. But um, I can make a couple of comments, because when, um, you know, back in 1 Kings 11, what was told Solomon was back in... There, here we go. In 1 Kings 11.13, the prophecy there that the Lord says to Solomon, he says, however, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give you one tribe of your, to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And then there's 10 that's torn away. The commentator, they just said, oh, it's kind of... Um, um, a bit and many, so it wasn't like an exact kind of number, so that the stress wasn't so much on the exact number, but 10 are going to be taken from you, but you will be left with, left with one, you're going to be left with something, so that whether the, they were saying, oh, the number's slightly more symbolic. Um, um, in terms of the actual, if you actually count them all, I think at this stage, Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, has been assimilated into Judah. I think if you look on a map, um, Simeon is, is actually within Judah. So if you look at the map of Israel and you've got all the different tribes, 
you've got all these ten tribes in the north, and then you've got Judah, and then kind of in the middle of Judah, you've got Simeon. So you kind of think Simeon can't really go with the north because they're kind of landlocked into Judah. So I think in terms of, oh, hang on, we're missing one. Effectively, it's Judah and Simeon and then the ten. But the only thing is, it's, it's a good question, and apparently there's a whole book. It, it, it is quite complex, and it's one of these things that it's, it's, it, it changes um, a little bit as we kind of go through because there's a bit of a scrap that happens with one of the middle, middle um, tribes, and that kind of gets divided. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, we could wait till to, to we see um, what we hear um, next week. I guess in many ways, reading through one and two kings will be really good because we'll get to know, we'll get to know more. But at this stage, it's basically Judea, assimilated yeah. Simeon, and then the rest. But, but, but because they're, you know, they're, they're next to each other, obviously there's things develop... Um, yeah, and I can't really think of... Can you look back in your Bible overview notes? There might be something back in, back in this. Cool. Yeah, that's a fair, um, fair observation. Nathan? Yeah, very good, just for the recording. So, again, what's nice, further you get, with Genesis 1, it's hard to make any parallels because not a lot has happened. But as you go through the Bible, you see more and more parallels and links to be made. So I think you're spot on, the commentator picks up on that, that with the judgment on Jeroboam, with the death of his son, finds a parallel with the judgment on David previously and the death of his son. But... That's where the parallel ends because, as Nathan's pointed out, David repents. And actually, David, despite David's sin, one of the reasons why he's commended is that he doesn't stay silent about his sin. Uh, in fact, some of the Psalms record where he does stay silent and it just eats him up. But he confesses his sin, he's restored to God. But there's no Jeroboam. I mean, it's funny, isn't it, when the prophet, the anonymous prophet, comes to him. Jeroboam's not repentant. Um, he just tries to hang on to power, and it doesn't uh, doesn't work. So yeah, so Jeroboam, with the inf- with the judgment he receives from God, he doesn't. And it was it was also Jeroboam, wasn't it? That you know when he was given the the, tri- the ten tribes, he was told, if you are obedient like David, then I will um, I will give you a kingdom like I gave David. Not surprisingly, Jeroboam uh, doesn't follow um, follow that path. Yep, good one. Ricky, Mr. Kamashia. So I said I wouldn't keep doing that. And you were Mr. Kamashia before. So for the recording, uh, Nikki and Ricky are back from their honeymoon. <laughs> Probably. 
We haven't done those. Which, 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 we haven't done those ones yet. Which, which verse is 20? Okay, of chapter 12. Okay, let me read them, and then Ricky can make some observations. <laughs> so it says here, um, When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. Well, I know, but then you've got the problem, is that Simeon isn't, can't be one of the ten. So Simeon's, because of, of if it's, if it's geography, so Simeon is part of, it's been assimilated into Judah. So then, well, yeah, then you've kind of got three and nine. But I think Benjamin's a funny one, because that's the one where it's kind of, um, you know, that's the kind of the, the border. Yeah, so that's probably as far as I've, I've got with that. So yeah, maybe we need to do some more work on that. But it's funny. I mean, it's one of these things you think are probably at um, Sunday school, like it was easy. You think, oh yeah, 12 tribes, I can do that. But things are a bit more complicated. But I think that probably gives you three and nine. Because a Simeon, there's no way that Simeon can be anything other than part of Judah. Oh, Nikki. Yeah, sure. Is that okay, Ricky? Well, we're, so we're, come, we're not going anywhere, so we'll come back to that. But we did have a, a brief conversation on the phone and thought, oh. And to be fair, the commentator at the bottom, there was a footnote and said, you know, this is complicated. So. Yeah. So, um, um, 1 Kings 13.2, you're saying that the prophecy regarding Josiah, were you, like you're thinking, was that fulfilled by Josiah or did he not go far enough? Sorry, is it? Well, so, yes, I think, um, as far as I've understood it, is that this is, I mean, it is remarkable that Josiah's named. So this isn't a um, simply um, uh, a generic sort of promise about what to expect from God's Messiah. This is, there's a particular king that's going to come from a line of Judah, and he is going to be the instrument of God's judgment on Israel's idolatry. Um, so in that sense, it's quite a particular 
promise, which which is which you know um, is it, picked up in later in Kings, and that does actually happen. So in that sense, the promise is is a particular promise. The, the Lone Range thing is just it's just quite spectacular that you just got you don't normally have. There's going to be Josiah, and it's you've got to wait 300 years for that to happen. So in that sense, it's un, it's unusual in that sense, but. So that's the, in that sense, that's, that's what's been talked about. And so in that sense, the promise is fulfilled 300 years later. And, you know, it's not left wanting as such. But I guess my comment is that that all adds into our expectation of what are we expecting God's Messiah to do. In other words, Josiah's significance is, is in his significance as God's king. And therefore... You know, like we're saying, like, when you get to Jesus and he says he is the Christ, you know, rather than make that comparison to like, oh, yeah, he's a bit like the queen, you know, he's a bit like a kind of a royalty figure, that's a comparison. But when we get to that, that category is rich. And one of the things that this text contributes is when the Messiah comes, we're expecting him to bring an end to idolatry and bring about true and authentic worship which is why I made a link with Acts 17, which I think is, is quite incredible. And that's precisely the gospel which Paul preaches. God's king is now enthroned. God's forbear with your idolatry for long enough. It's, it's over. It's, we're rushing now to final judgment where true worship, um, false worship will stop. God won't put up with it anymore. And his people will know him as he really is. And that's authentic worship. Because anything else is false worship because the gods aren't real. So in that sense, it's, it's, it's here, the, here the promise is, the prophecy is about Josiah, and that happens, but it's, it's adding to this category of what are we expecting from God's king. And, yeah, and my prayer is that it will give us confidence in, that, in the gospel of God that calls people to turn from idolatry to turn in God. As in, that's, 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 we're on the money, as it were, because that's, that's the expectation that's been set. Is that okay? Cool. Everyone happy? Great. We'll leave it there. Um, and we're going to sing again, um, O oh Great God of Highest Heaven. <laughs>